0: Imagine that you are on a deserted island, right? And no one else is there. It's just you. Some of you, you're already like, oh, this sounds great. Like, especially maybe some of you moms, you're like, last year, my wife was like, just take the kids and just like, go do something. That's what I want for Mother's Day, you know? (laughs) Maybe you're like, I need that deserted island time. Sometimes we need that. But you're on this deserted island and you've got like, no concept of Christianity. No one to explain it to you, no one to walk you through it, no one to have a Bible study with you, no one to explain the ABCs of salvation like nothing. It's just you and you're there on this deserted island. All of a sudden, a Bible washes up on the shore of this deserted island. Finally, you have something to be able to read and you open up this Bible Now you're reading about God. You're reading these stories about the church with no concept of Christianity whatsoever. No one has ever told you anything. No one's ever explained anything to you. It's just you reading it for the first time. How do you think you would picture the church if you just had that experience? Obviously, you don't have that experience But if you did, do you think that it would be different than what we think about church today? I think that it would be very different because the only thing you would have to define your expectations of what you thought this church concept was like would be the Bible. That's all you would have. How different do you think it would be from what you see now? Or maybe what are the things that you immediately think would be different based on just if you had the Bible to go from and no cultural pieces, no explanations, none of that stuff. You see, Jesus gave a very clear marker about what his followers were to be about. He gave very clear markers to what his church was supposed to be about. He said that this is supposed to be how you will know someone is legitimate, someone is a part of this body. Because if someone's a part of me, if someone's a part of something that represents me, I want to make sure they're actually legitimately representing me because none of us want to be poorly represented, right? If you hire a legal representation, you want to make sure that legal representative is actually representing your values, your beliefs, what you say, the things that you believe are true. You don't want them going on your behalf, explaining something, representing you, and it's completely different than who you are. And so Jesus said, this is the marker. This is the thing that will legitimize if you're a part of this body, the church. It's going to be supernatural, And the reason that it's supernatural is because apart from the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, it would just be another religious, ritual-driven practice. And Jesus described this marker in John chapter 13. Let's see what Jesus uses as the legitimizer to being a part of his body. John 13 and verse 34 He says it's a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, what does he say? All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I want you to think about this because... I mean, it's easy for us to dismiss this concept of love as, yeah, we know that, Pastor Derek. Like we've heard about the love of God before. We've heard that, yes, Christians, we're supposed to be loving each other. We know this. We're supposed to be making sure that other people see that we're loving each other, blah, blah, blah. We get it, right? And so many people understand this concept, but yet it's something that Jesus elevated and emphasized to such an extreme degree that he said, this is how everyone's going to know that you are legit. This is how everyone's going to know that you are a part of my body. This is how everyone's going to know that you indeed are truly a disciple of mine is by the fact that you have this supernatural love. It's going to be different because it's got to be different. It can't just be caring for other people because before Jesus came on the scene, people cared about each other That's nothing new. It even has to be bigger than being benevolent because benevolence existed before Jesus came on the scene. Benevolence was something that's been around for a long time. You see someone poor, you see a beggar, you help them out. You see someone that's lost a family member, lost their home, lost their job. You try to give them something, help them. You don't even have to be a Christian and understand the concept of benevolence. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus. There's people all over our world today That don't believe in Jesus, but yet they're very benevolent, very generous people. So it's got to be deeper than benevolence. It's got to be deeper than generosity. It's something else that is supernatural that Jesus emphasized to the degree that he wanted us to understand and those he was speaking to that day to understand that this is the calling card, the thing that legitimizes you as a disciple of mine, as a follower of mine. It can't just be care. It can't just be benevolence. It can't just be being a nice person. Because, man, there's a lot of nice people that don't know Jesus. It's bigger than that. It's not even, listen, this is hard. It's not even being like a moral, morally astute person. Some people think that following Jesus is just about like behaving, you know, being kind, being obedient, doing all of these things to check boxes, to legitimize my Christianity. But Jesus takes it further, man. He takes it further because people were doing these things before Jesus showed up on the scene. So there has to be something supernatural about it. There's something that is sacrificial about it because Jesus said to love one another, this is the kicker, as I have loved you. Now they had only seen a part of Jesus' love towards them. They hadn't seen the whole picture yet, but Jesus was setting them up because he wanted them to understand how far he was willing to go. And he even, before he was arrested, he washed the feet of his disciples. And after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he said, what I've done to you now do to one another. And this was Jesus showing them why he had come in his own way He was showing them the cross through the way that he humbled himself and washed the disciples' feet. And in that same way, this message of love one another the way that I've loved you, he's talking about a supernatural, sacrificial kind of love, sacrificial that goes beyond just being generous, that goes beyond just being kind, that goes beyond just the normal things that we would qualify as love. And this is what I want us to understand this morning is that I want us, as believers in Jesus, to emphasize what God emphasizes. I believe that this is what God is trying to put in front of us today, is to emphasize what he emphasizes. Go back to the example that I opened up with, the hypothetical island, that if you indeed were in that situation and all you had to go off was just reading the scripture man, you would think this is really, really important because you would see how Jesus emphasized this idea and this concept. And then I would want to go back and I would want to read and I would want to understand and I would want to unpack the things that Jesus did that were loving, the things he said, the things that he did that, man, were sacrificial because he said, I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. So we must stop playing by our own rules in order to try to just make up things along the way that we think are the right things to do or the desires that we have. We need to take an honest look at our lives, and we need to take an honest look at the scripture, and we must evaluate, am I truly emphasizing what God emphasizes? When I look at the scripture, I need to look for God in the scripture, and I've taught you this before. And so this is not a new concept, a new idea. So many people go to the scripture and their intention is to somehow find themselves or to find some good advice or to find some sort of practical how-tos or formulas or whatnot. And people can use the scripture like that all day long. But if you want to have the healthiest view of scripture, the healthiest view of scripture is not going through and cherry-picking scriptures to help ease your conscience or make you feel better. The best use of scripture is for you to go and open the word of God And to search the heart of God. Actually look for God. Stop looking for you and start looking for God. Because there's some weird stuff in the Bible that people did culturally that we don't fully understand. We can try to unpack some of those practices and maybe understand some of it at a certain level. But at the end of the day, there's some things that, man, I just don't get why somebody did this or why it was okay to do that. We can theorize this and theorize that. So in those pieces that I don't fully understand... What is the purpose of it? What's the point of it? I can always look at the heart of God and how God navigated the situation, how God interacted with humanity. What was God's plan? What was God's desire? What was God's response? What was God's position on this or that? When I look at scripture, looking for God, because ultimately it is truly his story, amen? And when I look at the scripture as his story and I look for the heart of God in things, then it begins to help me see why this is important to God and how the things that are important to God need to be important to me. What are the things that people who were after the heart of God, what were they regularly pursuing? What were they after? I want to see the heart of God in scripture and I want to see when God was pleased. I want to see the things that made God angry and upset the things that hurt his heart, I want to be able to emphasize what God emphasized instead of just trying to make up my own rules. Because what so many people do is they take society at large and we take all the things that we like and we try to find all the right scriptures to put in the right spot to make us feel good about getting our way and getting our desires met. And being able to pursue the things we want to pursue. And people will cherry pick and just move things around and shuffle things around in order to create this structure that they can feel okay about. And that's an abuse of scripture. Instead, we don't need to speak to the Bible, but we need to let the Bible speak to us. We need to let God himself define for us what the parameters in our life are. What the things in our life that he would have us do and the path he would have us to walk. Because we're seeking his heart. I'm after the heart of God. I'm after the intent of God. I'm after the emphasis of God. So when I read the scripture, I'm looking for God. What did you emphasize here? And when I see Jesus, God, manifested in flesh, speaking to humanity, he says, if you want to be a part of this deal, if you want to follow me, if you want to be legitimate, if you want to be someone who is associated with me, it's not going to be that we all wore you know, bright green shirts at the family reunion, you know. It's not going to be that we all drive the same kind of cars, ride the same kind of camels. That's not going to be what does it. What is going to do it is this thing, is that if you love one another the way I've loved you, that's how everyone's going to know. He said, by this, by this way, if you get this, if you seek after this, if you submit to this, if you're being transformed by this, everyone, Is going to know that you're my disciple and guess what everyone means everyone every person those who are following jesus and acknowledge who he is the son of god and those who deny him and reject him everyone's going to know everyone's going to know that you are a disciple by the way that you have this supernatural love of god that's not Normal that's sacrificial in nature that causes you to be extended beyond what's comfortable. That's where the sacrificial piece comes in. But in our culture today, it seems that all we want and all we're looking for and all we're chasing after and all we're pursuing is comfort. It's like our number one agenda item is comfort. If you look at all of the marketing that's out there, most of it is how can I make you more comfortable? comfortable. You give me money, I'll give you something to make you more comfortable. We all want comfort, and we will express our displeasure when we are uncomfortable, won't we? I don't like this seat very well. I don't like the temperature in here. I don't like the way that this shirt itches. You know. We will express our discomfort, because really what we're after and what we've been groomed as Americans to pursue is comfort. That's what we've been groomed to prioritize and pursue is comfort. And here's the dangerous part that we teeter on in our country is that we think we're entitled to it. We think we're entitled to it. And so we'll be vocal when we're not comfortable because we think we're entitled to comfort. That, and when something uncomfortable comes along, we go, oh, I don't, I don't like that. Something someone says, something someone does, something God said in His Word, oh, I, don't, I don't like that part, Jesus. Jesus is not consulting you or me on what He likes and doesn't like. And so when we pursue comfort, we can often get distracted from this message of love because someone who is pursuing comfort is really all about themselves. And the gospel is the antithesis of this seeking my self pleasure and self comfort. The gospel says deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. We don't really fully get that. I don't get that, you don't get that fully. We don't understand that, because I don't like to be uncomfortable. I got too hot last night, okay? It's starting to get warm. Like, I like the house to be cold, all right? got to make sure that the house is a proper temperature so I can sleep, okay? I've got to preach tomorrow. Jesus, like, don't you know I need my, my, my sleepy time, right? I don't like it when it's too warm. I want it to be just right. I want to be Goldilocks, right? I want just Right? I just thought about Goldilocks and the fact that I don't have any hair. That thought just like <laughs> entered my head has nothing to do with the sermon, but I felt it was necessary to say. When we play by our own rules and when we seek our own comfort, man, we're, we're not putting our hearts in a position to deny ourselves. Jesus said the way everybody's going to know is because you do deny yourself. You do take up your cross. Like you are willing to get really uncomfortable on purpose, like knowing you're going to get uncomfortable and still choosing to be uncomfortable anyways because your comfort is not the priority. Loving your neighbor as yourself is loving God and loving others and this love being this thing that brings us all together, that binds us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord and that also not only shapes and forms the way we treat each other but the way that we interact and treat those who are outside of our family of faith. It changes our attitudes. It changes when things don't go my way. It changes when there's things that come up in life that I don't like or that I don't have any control over. The natural response to something in this world happening that I don't have control over is try to get control over it. Like that's what we immediately try to do. Oh, there's something happening in the government that is out of my control. I've got to get control over it. There's something happening in my work. That that that's out of my control. I gotta get control over it. There's something happening at school that I don't like. I gotta get control over it. There's something in my home happening I don't like. I gotta try to get control over it. Our natural response when something is happening that we don't like is to try to get control over it. To try to fix it in our own strength. And can I tell you? that whether we have the opportunity to influence or control outcomes in our lives that will make us more comfortable or whether things go the opposite direction and we are out of control and we don't have control, our goal is not to gain control, but our goal is to still love in the middle of being uncomfortable. That's a supernatural kind of love. That's a God kind of love. There were things happening to Jesus all along, the other people were doing. And, and the temptation was, get control over it. Call 10,000 angels, right? Rescue yourself off of this cross. Get control over this pain that's being inflicted upon you. Take, take control over it. And he had the ability to do it. At any point, he could have taken the show back and said, no, this hurts too much. I'm done. I know how these people are. I, I don't want to. I'm I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> And Jesus could have done that. And Jesus had the power to do that, to take back control. And still he didn't. He said, Lord, Father, nevertheless, your will be done. If this cup could pass for me, man, oh, I see what's coming, but nevertheless, not my will. Hanging up on the cross, what does he say when everyone's mocking him, spitting upon him? He says, Father, forgive them, right? There's a sacrificial love he's modeling and carving out what he said in John 13, 34, and 35. He's modeling what he showed his disciples by washing their feet. It's this uncomfortable, intentional emphasis that he puts on things. Let's go over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, and verse 1, it says Now, when the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders of the day, when they gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, "'Not walk according to the tradition of the elders, "'but eat with defiled hands.' "'And he said to them, "'Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, "'as is written, "'This people honors me with their lips, "'but their heart is far from me. "'In vain do they worship me, "'teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. "'You leave the commandment of God "'and hold to the tradition of men.' "'And he said to them, "'You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God "'in order to establish your tradition.'" wow, Jesus, I mean, all they had to do was wash their hands, right? And you think this is a, you know, a, a, a really intense response for something so, so minor in our view, but you have to understand what was actually going on here. This comes from the Jewish ritual of one of the purification laws as someone would be impure or they would be tumach. And if someone was Tumach, they were defiled. And here's what the Jewish people believed, and this was also explained to us when we took our trip to Israel, that they believed that defilement could be passed by touch. And so if you are ceremonially impure, that also means that transfers to your inner man as well. So not only am I ceremonially impure, not only do I need to wash my hands, or maybe I don't, maybe I'm perfectly physically clean, but there's something in me that can be passed to another person simply by touch. Or if I touch this podium and someone else comes along and touches it, if I touched it while I was impure, that impurity would be passed along. That person would not be allowed to enter certain festivals or would not be able to go into other people's homes for fear of passing the impurity or into the temple or to offer sacrifices. This is a pretty big deal, this whole passing of impurity thing. It's like the ancient game of cooties. It's really what it is. You know, and there was no circle, circle, dot, dot, you know, in the day to make you exempt, right? It didn't work that way. It's just you passed it along. And they really believed this. And so there were all these purification laws that were created in order for someone to go through this process of becoming, once again, ceremonially unclean. It cost money, it took time. Sometimes it was a big deal, depending on how severe the impurity was and what all had happened and what all the extra regulations were about it. So they added all these laws to try to protect everyone from being impure. And so what was actually happening when the Pharisees and the scribes got upset with Jesus' disciples for not going through this purification process In order to eat and drink, he wasn't saying, your guys are dirty and need to wash their hands. He was saying, why are you allowing your disciples to remain impure? And why are you letting these impure people in our presence? Why are you letting these impure people around us to spread their impurity? It was really a criticism and a knock towards the disciples. They weren't concerned about the tradition. What they were concerned about was trying to point out that Jesus and his group, his disciples, were a bunch of impure people who were spreading impurities. And so it was a much deeper criticism. And so now you can understand why Jesus' response was so strong. And if you keep reading the text, he goes a little further into talking about impurity, and it'll all start to make sense. And you're like, oh, it wasn't just about washing hands or anything like that. It was about this whole impurity law. And so Jesus is like saying, my guys aren't unclean and impure like you accuse them of being. And then he starts talking about things that actually make you unclean. And then as you keep reading, the disciples, even though Jesus had their back, they didn't even get it. And they're like, well, Jesus, so, you know, like, like, what What? What makes us clean? And, and Jesus starts talking about, like, bodily functions. And he starts, like, helping them know it's not the thing on this outside, but rather it's the things on the inside. It comes from what's inside you, you know, like food and, like, going to the restroom. And he talks about this in plain language to help them understand what actually defiles someone. And so he's talking about it's something from within. And he's trying to help them understand their need because they just think their need is to follow the rules and do all the right things and then I'll be pure and I'll be right. And Jesus is saying, no, all these commands, all these traditions, all these things you guys are doing, you're actually ignoring the commandment of God the whole time to prop up your tradition. You're more concerned about people following your tradition than you are the commands of God because the commands of God shows that you have a heart towards God. Obeying and following his commands shows that your heart is actually being softened towards God, not just towards this outward appearance of being ceremonially unclean. You see, it's important that we understand as a church that we must focus everything we do around pointing people to God. Otherwise, we run the risk of people falling love, in love with a leader or a program, and they fall in love with a tradition, or they fall in love with some ministry, or a way of doing things and we're not pointing people to the heart of God. This is why our love for God is so important because when we love people the way God loves us and when it's sacrificial, it doesn't become about who gets the credit, who gets the praise. It becomes about God alone getting the praise and the glory and the attention, amen? amen. Not about one or two people being elevated or looked at a certain way or being more important because that's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how this thing works. I'm not more important because I'm up on a platform teaching you every week. God doesn't go, oh, that's my special boy. You know, it's not like it. that's not how it works. I, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus just like you're a disciple of Jesus. I have a different gift. You have a different gift. All the gifts work together. That's how it works. It's not about, oh, and oh, you know, it's not how it works. And we have to stop doing this. It's easy for us to do that, man. It's easy for us to do it because we like it, because it helps us to get rid of some of the responsibility and for us to kind of fade away in the background and go, oh, that's what, that's what the people over here that are up here do. And, you know, me, I just, I'm just i not like them, and that's not how it works. We all have gifts. God looks at us the same. He's either seeing people who are saved or people who are lost. And if you're a person who has been saved, who has put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, then you now are being transformed you're walking through this process called sanctification the sanctification is helping you to renew your mind change your way of thinking change your patterns of behavior because now his spirit is on the inside of you and it's helping you to be able to grow in christ-likeness and godliness every day so that your life becomes more of a reflection to point people to jesus to glorify jesus and not give attention to you but that comes through denying yourself you see, before Jesus, it was all about you. It was all about your comfort. That, and, and, and why wouldn't it be? Because you had no, nothing else to really focus on. It's just all about you. But when you become a follower of Jesus, the thing that legitimizes you, that marks you as one of his, is this idea of now I'm loving others the way that Christ loved me. And it's got to be bigger than a tradition. It's got to be bigger than something you like, a preference. Man, this whole idea of church, we can get so messed up, right? And we can get so focused on and wrapped up and distracted by what we like. And we can think that it's all about our traditions, upholding the traditions, upholding something that maybe was even effective during a certain period of time. And we go, oh, that was back when church was really Church, No, the church is really church when we love each other the way God has us love one another and loving people outside of our fellowship the way God loves people outside of our fellowship. That's when the church is being the church, not when we have certain programs or people have certain traditions that they uphold. We don't want to stumble into this mentality that the Pharisees and the scribes had going, oh, your guys are unclean. They're not doing it right. And so many people in the church are like, you're not doing it right. You're not doing this right or that right. We have to rid ourselves of these conversations and emphasize what God emphasizes. What's most important here? What matters the most at the end of the day? Because Jesus didn't say that your church would be marked by great preaching. Jesus didn't say his church would be marked by great worship and children's programs and man, uh, and and all-star VBS, you know? Jesus didn't say that all of your different outreach programs or be the thing that you need to be known for. No, he said, what you need to be known for is the way that you have love for one another. That needs to be the thing that you're known for because if that's how you're known, then I know you and you're following me. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to all these people. And I believe what he's trying to communicate to us today. Here's our big idea for today. Christ's love creates real authentic connection not just connection where it's hi how are you but it creates love and a real deep genuine connection because the best and only real way to love is with the authentic real love of God and here's what the love of God requires you and I to do don't miss this today because you're thinking about brunch i got somebody. <laughs> it's the love of God requires us to be vulnerable. That's a hard one. Not perfect, but vulnerable, authentic. Here's what being vulnerable means. I've shared this illustration with you before. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard it. But Being vulnerable simply means I'm willing to lower my side of the drawbridge. Each one of us controls the side of a drawbridge when it comes to connecting with other people, right? We each have a side of it. And the goal is to have both sides come down so that there can be connection, so that there can be things happen in between and there can be growth and there can be all of this life happen in between as those two sides come down to connect. But you in your relationships and the way you treat other people and the way you see other people, Man, you cannot control the other side of the drawbridge. You only can control your side. That's all you have responsibility for, ultimately. That's all you can do. It's your job. So many people try to jump over, they try to, like, you know, throw a rope to the other side and pull that other person's side of the drawbridge down, and it doesn't work. And they get mad at the other person because the other person is over here, and they're over here. So when I get offended, it causes me to raise my side of the drawbridge because I'm upset that you didn't connect with me. <clears throat> I'm upset because you didn't connect the way I wanted or all of my efforts didn't work. All my kindness mm, didn't even appreciate how kind I was. And I'm offended because I was being kind to you and you didn't receive it. I, 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 I can get offended and then I'm boom, now there's no hope because both sides of the drawbridge are up. All of your kindness, man, you went boom, I'm done. It just raised right back up all of my, all my love that I was extending. Look at how sacrificial I was being. Oh, I bent over backwards for this person. They don't even know what I did for them. If they knew, huh, they're going to feel bad about that someday. <clears throat> and we think if we, some people use guilt, manipulation to try to get the other person to feel obligated to lower their half of the drawbridge. Some people use those types of tactics to try to make someone, well, I guess I got to I gotta, you know, reluctantly have connection. But that's not how God wants us to have connection. That's not how God wants His church to operate. That's not how this love and the sacrifice and the servanthood thing works. It works when we are vulnerable. Our vulnerability allows us to lower our side of the drawbridge and man, I'm vulnerable. I'm here. I'm running the risk. I'm over here. But I'm gonna love. And I'm gonna choose to love. And I'm gonna choose to be authentic. I'm gonna choose to be real. I'm going to choose this and I'm going to be consistent with it because as I'm consistent with it, God is over here working behind the side of the drawbridge that I don't even know is going on, man. I don't know what all's happening. And if I get the benefit of this other person lowering their half of the drawbridge, we do have that connection. I can share that love of God with them and I can have that connection with them. You see, our stories connect us. Every one of us has a story and every story matters. All these things matter with our lives and being vulnerable because we find out that other people have issues too, not just us, right? Isn't that always like super encouraging when you find out someone else is messed up like you are? Isn't it encouraging when you find out that someone else has like marriage issues that you thought had the perfect marriage and had everything together? that they have fears, struggles, doubts, all those other things that we just assume that people that we look at from our side of the hill and we're going, man, I guess that person's got it all together and I'm just the guy who can't figure it out or I'm the lady who just can't figure it out. And we look at all of that. Man, it can very easily intimidate us and keep us from ever truly being vulnerable. And then we want to live these lives and communicate and present ourselves in a way that everyone thinks we've got it all together because, man, if they find out, geez, uh, and we think that's a way to have connection. And that's not authentic. That's not the type of love Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this real, authentic, vulnerable connection that we are to have. Not these perfect ideas of everything being, being, being perfect in our lives and everything being figured out. no. I'm following Jesus and I'm growing in following Jesus and I'm willing to be connected. I'm willing to be vulnerable because our unity and our love and our vulnerability is gonna lead other people and point other people to Christ. You see, we're supposed to be known for our love, the love that's real, the love that's authentic. It requires us. If we're gonna be authentic with this thing, it requires us to be vulnerable. To love well means that we lead with being vulnerable, not trying to impress not trying to deceive someone into thinking we're something that we're not, but us being truly real. Because what that does is it creates a vital ingredient for connection to happen, and that is trust. Trust is earned when we lead with clarity, with transparency, and with consistency. That's where trust is earned. Trust is earned when we lead with clarity, transparency, and consistency, when we live our lives that way. This is what Jesus said, that they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If I'm gonna have love, if I'm gonna have connection, if people are going to come to Christ, man, I'll tell you what, I've got to be a bridge builder. I've got to be someone who is building trust. And the only way that I'm gonna do that, man, is if I'm, if I'm clear, with my intentions clear with who I am, authentic, vulnerable, if I'm consistent in my life and my relationships, that they're not seeing me talk one way over here and one way over there, that I can build and strengthen those bonds of trust by being transparent. And when I mess up and when I fail, because you will mess up, you will fail, I will mess up, I will fail. We all do this. But when I do, I go to that place of repentance. I go to that place of letting you know, man, I, I, I messed up. I'll tell you what, a lot of you today, you know, you may be thinking about mothers, and, and you may be thinking about you know raising children, and some of your grandmothers. Some of you um, have different ideas around this concept of of, of motherhood, um, and some of you there's a stigma that may be painful for you around that concept and that idea for a, a number of reasons. Some of you have great feelings when you think about mothers and motherhood and all those things. And not everybody shares that, right? There could be this difference. There could be this struggle there because of that. But I tell you that when you're investing in kids, when you're raising kids, when you're pouring your life into kids or or grandkids, or maybe some of you who aren't moms, but you've invested in other people, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you've been a mentor, maybe you've been uh, just a good friend to someone when you've invested in them in an intimate way, the best way for you to make the most progress, the best way for you to help them grow the most, and the things they're going to remember the most, is when you are transparent, when you're real, when you're vulnerable, when you're consistent. They may not remember everything that you said because we don't always remember the speeches. I'm a speech guy. My dad was a speech guy. That's what he would do, right? If he wanted to help you, there was a speech for that. You know? And dad would talk a lot and would say all these things and he would think, wow, I gave this great speech. But it's not always in the great speeches. Most of the time it's not. The thing that people are going to remember is how you lived, how you authentically connected, how you loved, how you were vulnerable, how you were transparent. And even maybe if you were inconsistent, that you were transparent enough to admit that you were struggling with consistency and that you could grow in that, that you were consistently vulnerable even in the times where you stumble, even in the times where you mess up you're setting a precedence that creates opportunities for connection, for unity, for love, for people to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness. And it's hard for us because, man, a lot of times that level of transparency and vulnerability, that is a big sacrifice for us because what are you sacrificing? You're laying down your pride. You're laying down... Everybody thinking I've got it all together because now they're going to find out I don't. I've got to lay that down. I've got to be authentic and real. And that's hard for a lot of us because some of us would rather have this personification of this pseudo person that we've created. We'd rather have people buy into that than for people to know who we really are. But Jesus said we're going to be known as his disciples by the way that we love one another by the way that we interact, by the way we are vulnerable, the way we share life together. Let's go over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 9. Jesus said this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. One another. This is that idea of consistency. This is this idea of being clear, of loving people, of being for all people, being for these cities, being for our neighbor, being for our enemy, being for the lost, being for the wounded and broken. We're not for everything that everyone does, but we're still for their humanity. Amen? I want them to still see that Jesus loved them and died on a cross for them. I still want to lower my half of the drawbridge to let them know that the God that that died on the cross for their sins loved them, that Jesus came as God in the flesh to take on the burden and the pain that we caused and made necessary so that we could be forgiven, we could be restored, we could be free, we could be placed into right standing with our holy and perfect God because of this sacrifice. I want them to know that. And yes, we need to proclaim that message. Proclaiming the gospel, it is so important, but I also want people to see the gospel's impact on our lives and see it lived out by the way that we love God and love one another. Amen? The way that we treat each other, the way we serve each other, the way we sacrifice, you see, for the wounded, for the lost, for the broken, for the post-Christian culture in the Quad Cities. To be able to build these bridges, to be able to, to help people to see something real. Because, man, they've seen enough of people chastising them over not washing their hands. They've seen enough people talking about how there's all of this, this, this us and them mentality of, of, of people who have got it together and people who don't, the religious people and the non-religious people, the people who are living right morally and the people who are just not quite getting it right and living up to our standards and we live a certain way. Man, it, it, it's creating this divide. And Jesus said, no, it's actually, the way people are gonna know is if you continue just to love one another as I've loved you and to be sacrificial in that love. To not think of yourself more highly than you should. Man, I can't force the other people's half to come down, but man, I sure can keep loving people the way that God loved me, amen? And it changes, it influences And some people as God works on their heart, as perhaps their eyes are open, as perhaps they continue to see something different not something, not something where someone's chastising over them, not washing a pot right or washing their hands right or not getting it right, but where they see something, people begin to get curious. They begin to lean into that, and they want to know, is it real? Is it real? Are you real? Are you, are, 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 are you perfect because you're intimidating me? No, 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 I, I'm, I'm flawed too, man. I've got issues. I've got things God's working on me, but I'm trying to grow in this love of God. It's changing me. I have a story to share. I have a story to tell. I can lead with that authenticity, with that vulnerability, and it helps to make an impact that's going to last beyond our lifetime. You see, we need to lead the way in our homes. We need to lead the way in our relationships, both with people who are Christ followers within the context of our church family and with people who don't yet know Jesus. Or maybe, like most of the Quad Cities, people who have been in church or who have heard the message of the gospel and they have rejected that message because we need to make this connection by leaning into vulnerability, not with perfection. So I want to challenge you today as you think about this on this Mother's Day today that we celebrate and, and we're so thankful for mothers and their influence and their impact and how God has just used them in powerful ways to, to do some incredible things. Uh, we're so thankful and we hope that all the mothers, that they have just feel loved and, and celebrated today. And, and I love I love that. Love that connection. So I want you to enjoy that. I want you to have those moments if you have those plans made. And I want you to have those times. I think that's special. That's That's awesome. I don't want you to lose sight of that love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart. I don't want you to lose sight of how great God has loved you and how that love has impacted you. Because as we search the scriptures to know God more, as we search the scriptures and lean into knowing him more and how he's loved us, it begins to shape the way that I think. It begins to shape the way I act, the way I react. Because, man, you should have known me before the love of God got a hold of my heart, right? How many of us have a story like that? How would we react to things when things didn't go our way? It should be different now that he's in us. It should be different now that he's influencing us. And as I grow in that and other people begin to see that and become the benefactors of being treated differently by me, then they're really ultimately being treated differently by the love of God in me. And so it's flowing in me so it can flow out of me. That's the life you and I are called to live. We need to live it in our homes. We need to live it in our our, uh, workplaces. Some of you, where you go to school, some of you where you may interact with neighbors family members and friends and all those different things, man, should be influencing and impacting us, should be making us different. It's not just where I get to a certain standard of morality and I go, okay, I hit cruise control from this point on. No, no, no. That's what so many people do. I, I get to a certain standard of acceptable morality and cruise control from here and now we just want to learn some more things about the Bible. No, 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 man. I should constantly be challenged to change, to grow, to walk in faithfulness and fruitfulness as a believer. Because there's a world, man, that needs to experience the love of God. And Jesus said, man, my church, my body, my followers, my disciples, the way you're gonna know, the way that everyone, all people are gonna know, is by the way that they love each other. So Lord, Help us do this because we struggle in loving because we can so quickly drift back into traditions. We can so quickly drift back into thinking about our wants, ourselves. We can so quickly drift back into elevating ourselves because we want people to think of us a certain way and creating pseudo-personalities and things to get people to buy into this concept of who we are. Lord, we can drift into those things so easily because they're tempting to us. Lord, help us to walk away from those types of temptations and to seek to know you, to know your heart, and that your love would have such an impact on our lives, Lord, that we would begin to love you and love others with a supernatural kind of love, a sacrificial love that would change us forever and change those around us with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.